Welcome back to Side, the podcast that captures a moment in time in your life. Since 2017, Naranjan and I have been interviewing the people around us, close friends, classmates, and colleagues, and having a conversation with them to capture their now. This season, we're focusing on individuals who are pursuing their creative passions. If you haven't listened to the other season two episodes, check them out when you can. This episode is part one of a two-part series with Kelsey Chen and Kristen Lansang. Together, they run a fashion brand called Body Parts. Body Parts merges high-end streetwear design with relevant and impact-driven social messaging. The vision for the brand came from Kelsey and Christian's desire to start a fashion brand where clothing is seen as a site where racial and cultural tensions and anxieties can play out. In April, I purchased one of their empathy hoodies and I love it. It's a white hoodie with a sketch of a human heart in the center and under it the word pathologize is crossed out and replaced with the word empathize. I'm looking at it right now. This hoodie's design is body parts response to the increase in anti-Asian racism following the spread of coronavirus. 80% of profits will be donated. You can check out their impact page on their website, bodyparts.com. I'll drop the link in the description. In this episode, we're introduced to Kelsey and Kristen, and we talk about the origin story of body parts and how it relates to Kelsey's personal journey growing up in Seattle and developing her own sense of fashion. I'm excited for you to hear their side. But I think when you said like earlier about like, you know, the premise of like this podcast and trying to capture people at a specific moment, yeah. it's like, I'm not going to be delusional about what this moment is. Like right now, this moment is something. This moment is something. Yeah, get after it. Move forward until the day that the Adams split turn St. Louis to Lazarus, turn Chicago to Nazareth. Uh, that's how you feel. My spirit feel like Bobby Seal with a million dollars. In September. So we'll see if, if everything shapes out and I'm able to, to move on that timeline. But I love Oakland, love the Bay Area. Uh, looking forward to being back out there. Um, after Oakland, I moved to D.C. for two years before I came up to Philly for school. Um, and that's where I met Christian. So I just graduated um, a few days ago. Um, and I met Christian. Congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I met Christian in a uh, in the elevator um, heading up to the library. I think Christian was heading up to the library. I wasn't heading up to the library, I don't think, because I didn't spend too much time there this year at least. Um, but I was drawn to him because I, I liked his sweatshirt. So I just said, what's up? And um, what's crazy is, so I said, what's up? I think we exchanged names, but it was, it was quick. And then we, you circled back around a few months ago and contacted me about internship stuff. I don't know if you, do you remember that, that elevator moment? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I remember the elevator moment. Dude, I've had a lot of embarrassing moments in that elevator. Uh, because like, you know, as a 1L, you don't know how things work at the school. And like, I, I was trying to get into the elevator one day. This is like a very tangential story, but I was just Love like it. trying to get into the elevator one day and the people it opened up on the first floor and people weren't getting out and i was like oh they must be going up too so i try walking in but then now they're trying they're like trying to get out and it's like that really awkward interaction of like 
oh god like what am i doing i'm a 1l i feel like a freshman <laughs> in high school getting just embarrassing myself but uh-huh. like that's why i might not have like been as responsive to when you complimented me for my hoodie or something but i was just like extremely <laughs> terrified of law school being like so young like not knowing anything about the school so early in the school year yeah you handled yourself you were chilling man <laughs> like you were you were cool that's why i said what's up and i was so happy that you you um, circled back with me so that we could get to know each other. Well, Kelsey, we have like one elevator in the law school that I guess leads to the most important place in the law school, which is the library. Uh And it's weird because people could just take the stairs, but it's convenient because the the lockers are like right next to the library or right next to the elevator in the basement. So it does sort of lend itself to a lot of awkward moments like that. But um, no, man, you were smooth. And, and congratulations to you, Christian, for finishing up this year. I know it was in a somewhat an unconventional way and manner to end, but congrats. You know, that's, that's in the rear view and everything is, is up and up from, from here as it relates to the law school stuff. Um, but let's not, let's not bore Kelsey anymore <laughs> with that stuff. Um, well, <laughs> no, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I sent those six questions and we can sort of center the conversation around that. But just to start, um, Kelsey, can you introduce yourself? Um, give us your name, where you're from, um, and what you do. Yeah. So, hi, my name is Kelsey. I'm from Seattle, um, and I'm a sophomore in college. As for what I do, um, I do a bit of organizing work on campus for ethnic studies and for Asian and Pacific American progressive politics. Um, I also write a little bit for um, the campus Asian American literary magazine, which is called The Wave magazine, um, and for the Harvard Political Review as well. Um, In terms of my more creative work, I uh, would characterize myself as a bit of a jack of all trades. Um, So anything that is tactile um, and a traditional medium, I dabble a little bit in. Um, but my primary modes of art making are oil painting and designing clothes. Oh, oh, oil painting. I didn't know that that's something that you do. Is, is that also uh, a separate Instagram page? Yeah, it is a separate Instagram page. Okay. Kels underscore paint. Dope. You're going to have to plug all of your Instagrams, all of you, before this, just for that. <laughs> I'm dead. I have too many of them. <laughs> so I appreciate you sharing that. I'm excited to, to hear more about um, those projects and, and what you're passionate about as we move throughout the conversation. Christian, um, can you introduce yourself, uh, your name, where you're from, and what you do? Sure. Uh, so my name is Christian, Christian Lansing. Uh, I'm from the Southern California region. Uh, my sister lives in Santa Monica, and my parents live in the suburbs in Rancho Cucamonga, and I kind of split my time between both whenever I'm back home in California. Uh, since I'm really only here for like breaks between school. Uh, in terms of what I do, uh, I guess right now at Body Parts, uh, I, I handle more of the business development and long-term strategy of what we're doing. I have a little bit of experience in startups, working at things from fashion platforms to cryptocurrency startups to everything in between. Uh, but in terms of doing anything else, like right now, the pandemic's made me like a lot less productive and I feel like this is something relatable to a lot of people these days is that it's so much harder to get work done so I'm not really doing anything on a day-to-day basis like it's just a lot of catching up on films I didn't get to see uh during my 1L year uh but I'm reading a lot I'm watching a lot of film 
uh, and I'm working at an investment bank this summer uh, remotely. So we'll hopefully everything just ends up being okay because I know it's crazy times right now. Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting having this time to shelter in place and sort of um, sort of revert back to to kind of like our tribe or wherever our home is and sit with our thoughts and, and try our best, especially as students, to, to be productive in the academic sense. But also what I found is that it's been, that's been somewhat difficult. Maybe that's a combination of the current time, but also me just being in my final semester of, of school. But it's been really easy to work my brain as it relates to creative projects, um, catching up with people, like you said, Christian, like I could spend all day on Zoom and FaceTime um, whereas I'm generally an introvert, so when things were normal, I would like to spend a majority of time by myself to get my energy. So it's been cool to be able to be productive with the, the side of my brain that I um, haven't been able to be as productive with during the first two years of law school. So, um, and obviously you all are doing the same thing. So I want to get into that. Christian, you mentioned body parts. Before we get into the specifics of, of um, the movement, how has the past few months been for you, Kelsey? Um, can you tell us about sort of when you heard the school was closing down and, and what your initial reaction was um, and any, any insight as, as it relates to information that you've sort of gathered in, um, over the past few months? Yeah. Um, so when school started first shutting down, um, I didn't have the foresight to um, sort of identify the magnitude of the crisis that we would have been facing. So it felt like a bit of an overreaction to me. Um, but I also totally understood why administration made that decision. Um, and so it was, it was an okay decision um, for me. It was, it was like fine for me. Um, I am lucky enough to have a super stable home situation and my parents both have professions in which they would be able to work from home. So things have been really stable for me since returning home and time has just been kind of um, passing for me. Um, I think something that has really shifted for me these past couple of months is the way that I pass through time. Um, I think that uh, on a daily basis, um, when I was back on campus um, and just like prior to uh, this crisis, um, I structured my time in very spatial terms. Um, so I would um, I, I would have structure to my time, but that, that structure would be um, would, would be bounded by my transitions between physical locations. Um, so for example, I would move from class to class, I would move from the library to the cafe, to home, um, but now everything has sort of like collapsed within the single quarantine zone of my house. Um, that, and that has been really um, uh, a very interesting experience for me, um, something that I'm not used to. Um, I feel like my life is losing its architecture, but um, not necessarily in a bad way, in, in a very interesting way. <laughs> um, and yeah. that's really also um, allowed me, like you mentioned, Ibe Abuchi, um, to, uh, to, to work on uh, my creative practices at home. Um, I am a serial hobbyist, so throughout um, my years when I was staying at my parents' house, I collected a ton of materials for just random crafts. Um, and it's been really interesting to get back into my practices um, with these little scraps. <laughs> I love what you said about your life sort of losing its architecture in the physical sense, but it's it's sort of opened up or maybe expanded um, this the the architecture and sort of the the mental sense and and the creative yeah. sense. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm curious about um, sort of how having to, to shelter in place for you specifically back in Seattle, um, back where you're from, has maybe sort of augmented or, or changed your approach as it relates to some of your, uh, your passion projects like fashion um, or oil painting or sort of the collecting of the scraps that you've done. Has, has Seattle and being back home sort of been uh, inspiration at all for you over the past few months? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, Seattle is a very interesting place to be during the pandemic because it was one of the first places where um, that was like really heavily impacted by um, by the virus. And I think it was the, the first place where the virus appeared. It is also home to a very large Asian American population um, and definitely a port of entry for um, a lot of folks who are coming in from, um, from uh, East Asia. And so um, it is, a very rife ground for discussions that are happening surrounding the coronavirus. Um, and uh, I was, um, so something that has also been a pattern throughout um, uh, through, throughout my, my family's time during this crisis is that um, there's this constant, like perpetual vague anxiety because of um, the acts of gratuitous violence that have been perpetrated against Asian Americans. Um, and just like the, even the, the more small, seemingly innocuous types of racism that um, have infiltrated our daily interactions with non-Asian folks around us. Um, and so that was definitely something that I was thinking about um, when Christian and I were brainstorming um, something that uh, that that we could make and produce um, during this pandemic that would sort of um, embody our experiences during this moment and also um, make a statement against um, a lot of the anti-Asian violence that we're seeing happening during this moment um, and also materially benefit um, people who are on the front lines of the pandemic right now. Great. I appreciate you sharing that. And we're going to go into depth about um, sort of the vision and the mission of body parts. Um, so mm -hmm. definitely excited for you to expand upon that and go deeper. Um, but first, Christian, can you talk about what the past few months have, have been like for you, um, I know that you were in, in Philly. Christian and I um, went to Brown together and now, you know, a Penn Law alum, but uh, we were at law school together for, for one year. So we have a special um, institutional bond. But yeah, shout out to Brown U um, and, uh, you know, shout out to Penn Law. <laughs> for sure. Um, Christian, how, how have you been the past few months? Yeah, I mean, like I said a little bit earlier, it's it's hard to keep the daily routine that you had going on before, especially for me, since I felt like I had just started to figure out what it was like in law school, uh, getting my daily walk in of like listening to a podcast on the way to school, going to classes, like taking a nap and then getting back to grinding. Like I felt like it was a very formulaic uh, way of living that I had nailed down uh, and had been pretty good at honestly and so like when I came when I, I was actually pretty nervous during spring break because I was going back home and then I was going to go to Vegas with my friends and it was right around the time when coronavirus was getting big but not too big which is like why we weren't even that concerned to go to Vegas to begin with um, but I packed a little bit more than usual uh, in my suitcase going home just because I was like I was hearing things um, and 
like a lot of the students in Asian Law Review in particular uh, were like texting a lot, like their families, like on WeChat, uh, like just sending each other articles that you can't tell like the validity of these articles because a lot of it is like, uh, like hyper exaggerated Chinese media or US media of like coronavirus will kill you in 12 hours if you don't go to a hospital or something like that. So like you can't really parse what's real and what's not. Um, and, but I was like, it might as well be on the safe side. So I packed a little bit more and I brought all my books from Penn and then everything just like unfolded super quickly. Like we got emails from Dean Lin and from everyone else at the law school that we're moving remote, like don't come back. Like you actually can't go back. And if you do come back, like you can be arrested if you're in groups of two or more or of three or more. And it, I think, honestly, the busyness of the first year that you have in law school, it made it a lot easier of, like, I eventually adapted and I made a new routine. I'm pretty good at adapting, uh, and I have my old bedroom upstairs, and I've just turned it into an office, and it turned into, like, a daily routine again of being able to grind, like, watch videos over Zoom, even if I had to wake up early because they were on Eastern time, mm. uh, and then get back to the grind. But now, like that's over. I decided to not do writing competition and I have so much free time on my hands. Um, and I'm really, really thankful for that because it feels like I haven't had free time in a while. Like I'm sure you can relate your first year of law school. It's always busy. Like if you're not studying in school, you're networking to try and get like your job after graduation. So I think I'm like coming to peace with all of the time that I have now and learning to be okay with like, you know, what I'm going to try and do today is go to the grocery store, buy some scallops and make this seared scallop dish that like mm -hmm. I've wanted to make for a while now, but haven't been able to do. Uh, and I have a list of six things that I try doing every day and I write them down the day before. Uh, I read somewhere on this book called Atomic Habits, like the, a normal human or like a regular person can really only do six things well in any day uh so i've tried to like just journal what the six things are that i want done the next day and like i'll probably get close to three or four of them done but it's like better than getting nothing done and at least i have peace of mind that i was able to like bring some happiness in my life whether it's like watching a movie facetiming some friends or like cooking uh when it's so hard to do anything these days yeah i appreciate the fact that you you brought up um the difficulty of being on the West Coast when all the classes record on the East Coast. That's something that I stupidly just didn't come to my mind. Um, I thought about LLMs, I thought about people who um, live overseas, JDs who live overseas, um, but I didn't really, for some reason, I just didn't think about my, um, my California and West Coast folks, um, Midwest folks, whatever, who um, had to wake up maybe at you know six or 9 a.m. It just <laughs> didn't cross my mind. I, I apologize for that, but um, also, you know, just knowing you, getting to know you for a short period of time over the past year, you're versatile, you have a strong vision, you have a strong work ethic. Like this is just another experience and it, as it relates to law school specifically, and I'm, I'm sure other things, but just another sort of, um, you know, charger in your back. Um, it's kind of like they, they fucked up giving you this extra superpower that you're gonna <laughs> have after, um, after you conquer this too. So um, I hope that you're, I'm glad that both of you are, are doing well um, and we're able to, to make it back home. 
um, and sort of have some foresight um, and reflectiveness as it relates to the positive aspects of, of you know, being in, a, in a, the position that you are in. Um, you all have, you know, family, you're able to go to the store, you're able to work creatively on, on things that you want to do. Um, but also keeping in mind, um, in the forefront of your mind, you know, what's happening in this country right now um, and uh, how people are, are, are feeling about even going outside, um, not feeling about going outside as it relates to the, just the virus, but feeling about how they feel about going outside as it relates to their race um, and, and what they can't control. Um, so I want to get into that. I want to talk about body parts. Um, I'm repping the, the sweatshirt right now. Um, so is Christian. Can you talk about um, the origin story uh, of body parts um, and give insight into uh, what the mission and vision of the, of the clothing company is? Yeah. Um, so the, the origin of, of body parts really relates to my personal uh, journey in developing my own sense of fashion, I guess. Um, so I'll talk about a little bit about that, if that's okay. Um, For sure. So, yeah. So um, when I was younger, especially earlier on in high school and in middle school, fashion to me wasn't really um, a channel for individual aesthetic expression. It was more of uh, an armor or a, a method of adopting a curated exterior that um, sort of conformed to particular norms or located myself within um, specific archetypes of, of people that were um, that were more acceptable to an American social terrain. So it was very much centered around um, my own struggles with internalized racism and wanting to assimilate. Um, and uh, so the brands that I chose to wear were things like Hollister and Abercrombie and & Fitch, which are really terrible companies, but um, sort of at that moment, I felt emblematized um, like the ethos of cool white kids. And, and that was the crowd that I wanted to run with. Um, and, and that was, um, uh, that I felt would signal that I had um, successfully assimilated into American society. Uh, in some way, my parents were, um, are, are first generation immigrants. So I'm a second generation immigrant and um, I have always been really conscious of my racial identity and um, have always been very preoccupied with the ways in which my phenotypic characteristics um, sort of automatically code me as foreign in some way. Um, and uh, during high school um, was when I, uh, I, I was a debater. And so my partner and good friend and I were doing a lot of research on um, the model minority myth that, that surrounds Asian America. Um, and uh, I sort of came into the knowledge um, that uh, number one, the model minority is in fact a myth. Um, that Asian Americans are the most economically bimodal population in the States, which means that we are some of the richest people, but we also are some of the poorest people. And um, number two, I, uh, I realized that this model minority myth is something that is very, very violent and um, invisibilizes a lot of the very tangible material suffering that, um, that Asian American folks face um, in this nation um, and also is um, a sort of messaging that is designed to legitimate um, uh, existing institutions um, and 
to suggest that the American dream is something that is very attainable regardless of what race you are, which is just uh, something that is not currently true. Um, and three, I realized that the model minority myth was also really destructive because it sort of eroded the feeling of solidarity between Asian American and other people of color in the States um, because it made Asian Americans feel as if we had some sort of privileged proximity to whiteness, um, which in fact was was only token. Um, and that was expressed in my own life through, um, as I mentioned, my desire to um, assim assimilate in some way. And I felt like that um, constrained uh, the decisions that I was able to make for um, what I was able to wear and put on my body. Um, it wasn't just about wearing what the cool white kids would, uh, were wearing, it was also about what I couldn't wear. Um, so th there was this one moment in which the uh, the Japanese embroidered silk bomber jacket was super, super in for a while. I'm not sure if you remember this, um, but I wanted so badly, there was this one pink silk bomber jacket that was sold at Forever 21, which is also a terrible company. Um, but I, I really wanted it. I wanted to wear it so bad, but I felt like I couldn't because even though it was um, on the runways, even though it was high fashion when a white person wore it, I felt like me being an Asian American and then also wearing a piece of clothing that was Asian inspired um, would, would code me as, um, um, very irrevocably foreign. Um, and uh, I, I hate this word, but um, I, I felt like I would look like a fob or fresh off the boat if I were to wear that as an Asian American. And so um, a lot, there were a lot of instances of things like this happening um, through, throughout um, my earlier years in high school. Um, and um, it was through doing a lot of research um, on Asian American history um, and on the model minority myth um, in a debate capacity that actually helped um, to empower me to move beyond um, or, or start moving beyond um, this internalized racism that I had uh, for a really long time as a child. Um, and um, that was also when I discovered that uh, that fashion was also um, a very significant um, place, I guess, a, a significant site in which um, the um, in which racial and cultural tensions are, are played out. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also identified it as uh, as both a site for um, possibly reifying existing systems of white supremacy and Eurocentrism, but also a possible place to contest that. And so um, that was when I started making more deliberate choices about, um, about what I wanted to wear and um, making it a point to reconnect to the ethnic ties that I had um, sort of cut off earlier in this misguided attempt to assimilate into American society. Um, and um, I have always been making clothes in some capacity. Um, before I, I entered college, it was mostly upcycling. So I would um, thrift things or take old pieces of clothing that I already had on hand and make slight modifications to them, but um, but but nothing too crazy. It wasn't hectic. Um, and uh, it wasn't really until last year when I started making cut and sew items. Um, and it was my relationship with, with clothing and clothing specifically as a site of, of um, thinking about my internalized racism um, that um, sort of influenced the designs that I was making um, for these cut and sew pieces. Um, and so 
for these cut and sew pieces, I was really making it a point to bring in elements um, that had sort of been exiled from um, the, the Western canon of, of the fashion industry, um, such as um, like the chi pao or um, like various elements of Asian clothing that I felt were very beautiful and um, had only been included in a very tokenized manner um, in, uh, in more well-known um, Western fashion brands. And so um, I started making things and then um, people uh, were really interested in the things that I was making. And, uh, and um, I posted some things on my personal Instagram and then there would be like a slew of, of comments that would be like, Kelsey, what, when, are, when are you dropping your clothing line? And they were probably kidding, um, but I took it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I um, started Body Parts. Um, and uh, body parts, I guess, was uh, a, a, I wanted to to start a clothing line that that meant something um, and sort of embodied this um, this ethos that I just described, um, in which clothing is seen not as um, a neutral object that you just decide to put on your body, but as um, a very potent site in which um, racial and cultural tensions and anxieties um, play out and can be contested. Um, and so um, the, the, the name Body Parts actually has um, a, um, a lot to do with my own cultural upbringing. So I was brought up in a very culturally Buddhist household and a body or a puti in Mandarin um, is a Sanskrit word for enlightenment that has been um, a, a really huge part of, of Buddhist doctrinal thought. Um, and I grew up watching a lot of cartoons about um, like Journey to the West with the Monkey King and um, with, with a lot of characters of bodhisattvas. And so I grew up constantly with these like idealized figures of bodhisattvas and Buddhas around me. Um, and obviously the bodhisattva ideal, um, which is um, like the embodiment of infinite wisdom is, is something that is very unattainable for, for most of us who walk this earth. Um, and so what Body Parts wants to do is, um, is gather these small bits of, of wisdom to create a more enlightened um, orientation to, to what we decide to wear. Yeah, get after it. Move forward until the day that the atoms split. Turn St. Louis to Lazarus, turn Chicago to Nazareth. Uh, that's how you feel. My spirit feel like Bobby Seale with a million dollars.